crowd are looking, throws it, alley, oh, he puts it down, he puts it down, it's over! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for Tuesday, October 10th. I'm Brendan Clean. that is Chris Manning. We are back, the WNBA Finals are in full swing, the NBA season is approaching, we have tons of basketball to get to, we'll have some slop of the week, some team previews, and break down that debut game of the WNBA Finals. If you're finding us for the first time, hit follow or subscribe wherever you are finding us, including the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel. If you're on social media, hit follow on our channels there as well. And we want to remind you guys to support the show by visiting Homage, an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. We have a link below in our bio. Click that, buy something. Maybe it's, you know, already holiday time in your household. Just just drop some money, help support the show, root for your favorite team all at one time. Chris, I really just want to get to the WNBA Finals game because I think it was awesome basketball, but we do have some mm-hmm. slop to start with here, which for those who are uh, uninitiated is just the delicious little morsels that the NBA and really just the NBA, the NBA does this better than anyone else. Uh, They like to drop things that are kind of halfway news, but not quite full news. And that is what we lovingly call slop here on the Just Basketball Show. Yep. I don't know if you came across these or pursued them after I put them in our notes, but we'll start with a report from Zach Lowe on his podcast, breaking down the whole Lillard holiday um, kind of swap and carousel that the Utah Jazz were one of the teams interested and who made an actual push for Drew Holiday. Zach Lowe said it wasn't a finalist team necessarily, like probably didn't get very, very, very close, but they definitely explored acquiring drew holiday it's kind of like the john collins thing but that feels like a bigger swing to me than just a expensive forward who is undesirable on the atlanta hawks this would have been a pretty big step for the jazz toward like competing for a real playoff spot and and taking their team out of you know tank mode yes number one this is the first thought that went into my head because i think about the oklahoma city thunder a lot uh i was a little bit I kind of wish this was like the Thunder that were the team that we heard did this because I think that makes more sense. I think the Thunder just are a little bit further ahead. I think Shea is just better than anyone that the Jazz have right now. And I just kind of envision a world where like Drew Holiday is like the adult that helps the, the Thunder go to this next stage for them. And I think that could have been very cool. Secondly, I doubt this is the last time this happens with the Chaz, right? Like, I think we're just going to be like, there's two reasons for that. One of them is the serious reason, which is they have a lot of assets to play with. So like, why should they not try to get involved on in stuff? Like mm-hmm. you can overwhelm teams, especially if we're in this world now, Brendan, where maybe more guys are not just going to get this year where they go. They're going to, it's going to be like a bidding war and maybe. Well, and this right? is the perfect tier of player for it, right? Because it's not a superstar who is necessarily going to use the sway of being a great player to say, you know, no, 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 I'm actually not going to be playing here. And and Holiday being somebody on effectively an expiring contract, if he's a little better, you have that worry that he is just going to go to a super team next summer and you're going to waste your time. But he's just a tick below. So I think from that standpoint, I agree. It makes sense that some of those 
extra picks, kind of one to two big moves away types of teams would do it. Um, I guess the Thunder to me, I, I heard that and it sounded like they, you know, a lot of people had them kind of in the short list of it makes sense types of teams. I'm not sure, you know, Zach Lowe didn't say that they necessarily made an offer or anything, but I guess I just don't know if, like, is that what they need? Because I feel like Lou Dort is somewhat similar from a defensive standpoint. Offensively, they have plenty of ball handling. Another, you know, kind of two-way wing slash guard feels like adding to what they already, like, we already don't know if Josh Giddey's going to be able to, you know, spread his wings on this team. Do we really want to throw another ball handler in there? Well, I just mostly just wanted it for the content. I don't. I hadn't thought about it from like a basketball sense fully. I just thought it would be fun. I'm just here okay. for fun. This is sloppy. The jazz. It makes sense basketball wise. Yeah, you know, again, it is slop. Section, it is slop. I'm probably section, thinking too deeply for slop. Just you're just sliding Colin Sexton again, Brennan. Um, I am. I am. Here's the here's the other part of this that is my like half serious but half like joking retort to the jazz involvement. Is Danny Age back? Danny Age almost trading four picks for Justice Winslow, and now he he's is. back almost trading for... He he never left. He just switched locations, and he's almost making trades again. We're back, baby. It's 2000, I mean, Justice like, Winslow is like, you know, this just chump change for, for Danny. He was he almost traded for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Anthony Butler Davis. and Anthony Davis. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, he saw his, his, his sworn nemesis, Pat Riley, almost trade for Damian Lillard, and he was like, I gotta yeah. take my crown back. I can't just let Pat be the almost trade king here. I gotta, I gotta get back in there. Um, yeah, I think the Jazz make a lot of sense for something like this in the not too distant future because they aren't ever going to sign a free agent who's a difference maker. Uh, but they're also somehow already too good to get a really high pick with their own record. So they're they're kind of already in no man's land from a rebuild standpoint. So it's going to have to be a move like this if they're going to acquire difference-making talent to add to Markkanen and Kessler and whatever the rest of their core ends up looking like. Um, slop number two, Brandon Clark, according to Tim McMahon, had elective cleanup surgery on the Achilles tendon that he ruptured a while back that forced him to miss the end of last season and what was already a questionable timeline for when he would return this year might end up being no return at all this season according to Tim McMahon and as a result of this surgery he might just miss all of 2023-24 I don't know what you think about this one I think that he probably doesn't make a massive difference in terms of win-loss or ceiling or floor for this team. I think he does bring a different dimension, but I think they have enough other options that it's probably okay. It's just more bad news for the Grizzlies and just like one depressing thing after the next with this team. And I hope they can put that vibe behind them, if nothing else, before long. But what do you think about Clark as a player? Is this going to impact their kind of destiny this year if he doesn't play? I mean, it makes them a little thinner up front in a way that would make me concerned, right? I mean, Steven Adams has missed time before. Like, that's that could be a concern. Jaron Jackson has had injuries before. Like, and then you're getting into, like, Xavier Tillman, who I think is good and, like, can be a quality enough player. But I think I there's some of what Brandon Clark does that I think is a little bit more valuable. I think this just kind of puts a dent into a team that I like. And it's just, it, look, it's just a bummer for a guy who is 
ostensibly kind of in the prime years of his career. He's 27. And, like, he's going to maybe miss a whole year, and he's a big. And, like, sometimes, even though he's not the biggest big, he's 6'8", 215 listed at it on basketball reference. Like, mm-hmm. and Achilles, even with the track record we have now of players coming back from it, it makes me a little bit nervous. Just, like, I hope he can come back and be an effective player as he comes back here, right? I think that's just really yeah. my concern. But it's an absolutely loss for the Grizzlies. I mean, this is a team that's going to have to definitely overcome some things this year. And their big rotation is like one big away from feeling a little bit thin. And that's not abnormal for teams. Like I think every team in the league right now, especially the good ones with, with cap stuff is a move away from like one injury away from things getting really dicey, but Memphis is in there right now. And it's going to, I mean, just regardless of why, right. You're entering the season with for 25 games. They're going to be without two of their top seven guys, including the best player on their team. And then they're going to miss another top seven guy for the whole, probably the whole season if he's having an Achilles cleanup surgery. I mean, that's just that's mm-hmm. just a massive bummer and, and a huge concern for them. If, if I'm Zach Kleiman, if I'm Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, the the concern that I have from a Grizzlies standpoint, because this is a team I think we all were excited by as a you know up and coming Western Conference powerhouse is, you know, whatever you think about Ja and whether or if and how he gets better. Um, they're now in this prolonged kind of malaise from a off-court issue standpoint, whether that's health or Jaws stuff or whatever, where they're gonna ha- they have to make the next move and they might not have a ton of data to be informed by when they do it. You know, like they can't just say this entire year is a get right season because contract extensions and the rest of the league making moves, none of that stuff waits because your best player is suspended or your backup center is injured or Steven Adams mm-hmm. still takes a while to get back or whatever. They just had to pay Desmond Bain. They already paid Jaron Jackson. We don't know who any of their wings are still because not any of them have, have broken out and they have Marcus Smart now. Is that really a long-term answer? Like they're just in this situation where they're kind of where a team like the Thunder is. They're a little ahead of that, obviously, but we should be talking about them and what move they're going to make to beat the Nuggets and go to the finals. But we can't because of all this other stuff. And yet, you know, it's kind of the same thing we're talking about with the Clippers toward the end of that cycle where it's like, did everything just kind of pass the Clippers by? You know, I just, I don't want that to happen for the Grizzlies, but you just see those inflection points happen whether you're ready for them or not. So that's kind of where my mind went even though it is a backup player, uh, missing an entire extra season would just kind of be one more thing that makes it hard to evaluate the team, and you got to anyway. All right, let's go to the WNBA Finals, game one. 99-82, a home Las Vegas Aces victory that I would say was closer than the final score dictates. Yes. But also how it got so blown open at the end really matters too. So it's like, it wasn't quite a 17 point game if you really zoom out, but how they got that 17 point lead feels like it could also tell us something about the rest of the series. So it's sort of a, which one do you agree with or or lean toward more in your analysis and evaluation of, of the series? But where do you want to start here? I have 30 bullet points of notes to pull from Chris that we can jump around on, but we want to start with the specific player lineup quarter. How do you want to 
attack this this pretty interesting game one? I think we need to start with Jackie Young. I, I think that's the only okay. place for us to start here because she was is you know Kelsey Plum is twenty six, Chelsea Gray has twenty, Asia Wilson is nineteen and eight, and it had a really really great defensive game. But I think Jackie Young was ostensibly the star of this game for the Aces. Mm-hmm. I, I think Jackie Young was the driver of that third quarter run in a lot of ways. Yeah. This when they took control of this game, Jackie Young was the one on the ball. She was making big shots. She was attacking pressure points on the defense. Jackie Young was the best version of herself, and that is not something we've seen really all playoffs, right? That mm-hmm. that is someone who's came into this game shooting thirty five percent from the floor. And she didn't have a great game from two, but was five of eight from three. Twenty six yeah. points was plus twelve, had that double digit second quarter, third quarter, excuse me. And you compare that with who she's going against on the Liberty side. She's pressing on Sabri Ionescu. She's pressing on Courtney Vandersloot. Neither of whom had good scoring games, right? Mm-hmm. Jackie Young was the differentiator to me in game one. In mostly, again, a lot of credit to Kelsey Palm, a lot of credit to everything the Aces did and and them kind of overcoming what I think everyone kind of knows is a pretty shorthanded bench. I mean, they had one player play more than two minutes coming off the bench and ever the people who did play and then the game were just there for garbage time. Yeah. But Jackie Young stepped up as big as we've ever seen her step up in this playoff run. Yeah. Question, though. So what happens if the pull-up threes don't fall for her? But they okay, In game yes. two. Okay. If they don't, I still trust the process, and I still just think it's notable that she got... Like, here's the thing. Yes, they could not fall in game two. But do they fall again? Do they fall two out of the five games in the series? That might be enough for them to win. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't take her having a five-game monster series necessarily. Like, I think they need her to maybe do that one more time to really put some distance between them and the Liberty. Like, and she should just take them in game two. And maybe if she misses them, maybe it's a Chelsea Gray scoring game. Maybe it's a Kelsey Plum, like, 30, 30-something point game, right? Like, Kelsey Plum took seven threes in this one. I think only made one. Maybe she yeah. is... You know, four of seven from three in, in game two, and and Jack, and it's not needed, but they kind of needed her to be that in this game, and she was, and I just think that's notable. No, it is. I mean, obviously it is, because you could say, well, what if they don't? But okay, well, there's only five games in the series, and they just won one of them in large part because of her. So it was a difference maker. I thought the confidence to take especially early in the game. It wasn't like she made a couple corner threes and then she just kind of got her rhythm. It was like, no, here I am, you know, and Mm -hmm. she is still the youngest player uh, on this team and especially on the offensive end to be able to handle the ball and, and be comfortable initiating in transition, especially. I think she was great, but just in general, they're poised in terms of knowing kind of how they wanted to, well, I was going to say how they wanted to split up the offensive creation responsibility, but I think the better way to say it is just to not care who initiated or set up the offense. It was just, if you get the rebound, go. And, you know, the first good shot you find, we have the talent that you should just take that. And so, yes, maybe things change in game two uh, from that standpoint. And they... Uh, New York's transition defense is a little bit more attentive. They change up the matchups. Maybe, you know, don't give switches as easily. Um, We'll see what happens. But for all three of their guards to just be so aggressive and so efficient, it makes them impossible to stop. And then when you look 
beyond that, it's like, okay, so if they're making pull-up threes and they're attacking in transition, well, what happens if, if, if New York kind of presses them more? Well, then the best player on the team is going to get more opportunities going downhill or in space of her own in Asia Wilson, who had a very quiet 19 and I think wasn't even really like a huge factor offensively like we know she can be. So I think that's the the big part of it too, is like to get the three-point shooting game that they did already and to get great games from all of their guards to the point where they didn't have to really grind Asia down, just ISOing and posting up too much. That just opens up where you're, you know that game's coming. So if that's mm-hmm. next game, suddenly you're talking about a 2-0 lead or a road win in a must-win game three or four, and you can ride that too. So uh, this game script, I think, really went how they wanted it to. Um, for sure, but yeah, and, I, and the other the other thing about that is I think they like the Liberty. I think to their credit, kind of stuck with this in the first half. Like we're handling the blows pretty well. Like this, what they were leading, I believe, at the half. They were. Well, we're going to talk about Marino Johannes because you kind of have to coming out of this game, even yeah. though Liberty ended up losing by a bunch. But they were pretty like comfortable just kind of navigating this. And I think the I like I think the Liberty I think really the best answer for the Liberty like the best defensive answer is they probably need more from Sabrina to just like kind of really go at these them on the other end and wear them out a little bit. I think that's maybe the best answer is it's like okay you're gonna do this. We kind of like we can we can put forth max defensive effort. I think Sandy Bernadelle is gonna like demand that, but we kind of know what the ceiling of that is for their for their guard play defensively. Their best answer is just like okay can we. Can we like get more out of Sabrina and Courtney Vandersloot and maybe Laney as well, and get them going in that same kind of way? Be more aggressive with them, and then maybe that lessens Stewie. Like if Stewie has to do more defense under something, I just think the math has to go back to Liberty. If they're going to get back in the series, I think they kind of have to do a version of what the, the Aces did. Obviously, it's going to look different because they're different players, in different styles. But the answer to slowing down the Aces guard is not going to be better defense. It's going to be can you burn some of the energy on the other end? and get your own version of this for game two and beyond. Yeah, so I think the... Maybe the biggest way to kind of describe on the Liberty side why the Aces guards were able to to do that is a version of what we talked about in our preview and what I think we were both kind of scratching our head about in the regular season series is it just didn't feel like the Aces had an awareness and an aggressiveness to attack the weak points in the defense of New York consistently. And it just felt like they did in this game. You know, um, I feel like you had in the second quarter, the Kelsey Plum kind of explosion. I think that was her best scoring quarter. And a lot of that was with Courtney Vandersloot on her. In the third quarter, you saw the Aces spamming Jackie Young pick and rolls with Vandersloot and Sabrina trying to guard her. And they were just going empty side pick and roll whether it's a switch and then suddenly you have somebody in the post against those two small guards or you have a favorable advantage just getting downhill or Young was able to draw fouls. They were just much smarter about identifying basically whoever Benajelani wasn't guarding. Yes. Let's just exploit that, right? And so I don't know if that's a solvable problem, especially because I just don't think Brondello feels comfortable offensively with Kayla Thornton out there. 
and you're just starting to run out of options, especially with we can maybe flip to the Liberty offense side and talk about Johannes, who had a huge impact on this game. But there was a stretch with her, Chris, where she makes one. I don't even remember because all the threes were just circus shots. She makes one of them. Then she gets the ball back on the other end. I don't remember. The aces just missed. Uh, whatever. They get the rebound. She has the ball in transition. She tries a no-look pass to Stewie and Stride, which really was a good pass, but Asia just made a, a kind of heads-up defensive play, just tipped it. It ends up going into Vegas's hands. They get the ball back. Plum gets it on the right wing, and Johannes basically did a literal, not even like a, we say this about defenders, she literally did like a bull riding, like move out of the way type of situation and Plum just got a layup out of it. And it's like that is the Marine Johannes experience too. So she's not exactly an answer to say, well, just play her 30 minutes a game because you're giving up a lot on the other end. So it's just going to be a pretty difficult match up for the Liberty to exploit all series long to try to match up and and maintain against the perimeter talent that Vegas has and not just the talent but what we've talked about the whole season which is the physicality and force that those players have that the Liberty just don't you know so if they're aware of it and they're playing that hard it's just it's really tough yeah, and I, look, we've seen them, I think, play the Aces better than anybody this year, and I think that would give you some optimism that like they have answers to this to some degree. But is it enough to win three games, I think, is now the question after seeing game one and seeing, I think, the purpose the Aces really came in with. Um, mm-hmm. Side note on this, Brendan. Often during NBA games, I find like the in-coach stuff like useless. It's nonsense. Yeah. The quality that we're getting, even if it, you're like, you're the stuff I think we're getting out of these is actually, particularly I think with Becky Hammond, has been much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Like her just talking yeah. about, like, hey, you got to slow them down. They're going to try to increase the tempo, get more possessions. Like you're actually getting descriptive strategy. I just wanted to note that I found that like. I thought you were going to go the other side with the in, in-game player interviews, which everybody is uh, mocking, which are no, pretty. Those, they're doing those no, in the NBA now, though, too. So that's not even it, a W yeah. thing, which it used to just be the W. And now somehow the NBA agreed on it. But don't make these people gonna, talk about the games in no, in the swing of things. It's, it's, it's no, ridiculous. They're, they're very uncomfortable. And um, they're only, they were only funny in like the XFL because guys are just saying like wild stuff. And like. No one's gonna say wild stuff in these as on. No, yeah. and they're and they're like being asked about like their teammates' injuries and like yeah, mistakes they just it's, made yeah. and st- it's just it's like what it, why are you doing that? Um, yeah. But okay, but so, no. So the Liberty side, I think what needs to happen to me is and and this sounds crazy because I believe it was their leading scorer and their best player. So you know, really incredible deep analysis here. It has to be Suey. Yeah. On both ends. I mean, she gets 19 shots up. Yeah, Yeah, on both ends probably, right? But I just felt like there was too many times where she was being used uh, for her gravity and her kind of IQ and size more so than just a weapon as a a scorer. Like, she can't just be a screener, dribble handoff, uh, you know, pop, spacer, whatever. She has to be getting the ball in position to to slay a defense. Um, and she just wasn't. They were running everything through the perimeter players in this game. And you're not going to win, as we just said. The, that's a disadvantage for the Liberty. Where the Liberty have an advantage is the front court. And so you got to exploit that. And I think it, it starts with Stewie. I think it has to. I mean, I think you're... 
not going to win a game against a team as good as the Aces where she's 8 of 19, 1 of 4 from 3, and only took six free throws, only has two assists. Like, Mm -hmm. this is, like, by her standards, like, not – it's just, like, an average game. And that speaks to, I think, how good she is because she's still 21. And you look at the box, and it's like, oh, she did 21 and 9. But it was, like, kind of an average Stewie game. Um if I had to lean one way, Brent, I want to ask you the same thing. I would think it's it's there's going to be more pressure on her defensively, because I think I see an easier path. And I, and I think of the game. I think of some of the defensive stuff she did against Aces earlier this year, where like she's in help, she can be another body, she can be like a a, a large person with long arms and good instincts and good feel, great feel in the paint and around the paint. You can you they don't have like another option to be like a, a wall like Jacquel Jones and Asia Wilson is a battle in the post. It is really fun to watch those two kind of go at each other and try to one up each other. Um, Jacquel Jones did get called for a phantom foul in this game, which I you could tell it visibly annoyed her in real time when that happened, and I was like, oh, that's tough. But they're going to need Stu, I think, on the back end to support some of the guard stuff, especially if some of the these pull up threes turn into drives if they turn into Chelsea Gray getting into lane going for midi if and can can Stewie be the mm-hmm. contester in that space but you also it's like okay you kind of maybe need her to hit you they're gonna need her to hit like three threes in a game at some point like they're gonna mm-hmm. need her to kind of do something like there's just gonna be so much on her shoulders which is which it feels very like LeBroni and that like it's like you have all these other like all-star really good players and yet you still kind of need this one person to patch everything over to fix your team. Like it's it's a it's it's the burden of being as good as she is, and it's the reality of building a super team to some degree. I mean, Asia Wilson obviously is is covering up for a lot on the other side as well. But it, it's it's a it's it feels very glaring right now if if you watch this game and, and just think about the, all the things she's kind of being responsible for here. Well, she's the only offensive scorer on this team who can win, like win an advantage, whether that's getting deep position against a mismatch, whether that's driving, whether that's shooting over the top of somebody. She's the only one that demands extra defensive attention consistently. You know, Sabrina can do that if she gets hot coming off of a screen and you have to kind of send two at her and then somebody's open on the roll or, you know, whatever. But that's the difference between the guards that Stewie's playing with versus the guards that Asia's playing with. And that's why Asia can have a game that's relatively quiet and still win, whereas it doesn't feel like that's going to be possible for Stewie. I think you look specifically at the fact that she had two assists and the fact that she you know, shot worse than 50% from the field. It's really just how are you using possessions? And if so many possessions are, are tough Stewie shots and missed threes by the role players, that's not going to be a recipe to win. So, And then uh, defensively, I agree with you. It's, it's pretty important too. I think... The number one thing there to me is they treated, well, they weren't as aggressive helping off of Stokes as even Dallas was. Like that was Dallas in in game two against the Aces was just their kind of final chess move was like, we're going to treat Kia Stokes like she doesn't exist. Like we're like, it's not even a player on the, uh, when the Aces are on offense, like it's, it's Andrew Bogut with Tony Allen, right? It's like, it's not even going to matter to us and they still beat them. But to see that, which just is sort of the most obvious over the top defense you could try to throw at the Aces if they're really rolling versus the Liberty at times with two incredible defensive players and John Quill Jones and, Brianna Stewart staying attached to her 
while these guards are parading to the basket, that was confusing. And that felt like a lack of awareness to me. I noticed it more with Jones, but no matter who's guarding who, that aggressive early help just has to be there because you can't get down double digits to this team again and be trying to fight your way back with prayer threes by Marine Johannes. Like that's not going to be a recipe. Uh, and so the defense has to be much more solid, aware, and just uh, there. Cause it just, frankly, like there just wasn't a lot of paint protection going on from the Liberty in this game. No. And they're aside from John Cole Jones, one-on-one against Eagles. That was it. Yeah. That, that was the paint protection, which has a lot of value. And it gives you some structure, but it has its limits, obviously. Um, I just I think we should hit quickly on Johannes. I just think, mm-hmm. A, number one, I think this is top five. Like We can make this a list at some point. This is like a top five, like most audacious, like fun basketball player to watch. I, there are limits, yeah. right? There are limits in her game. We know this. There's a reason that she hasn't played a ton of play of minutes until now. But she is out here hitting one-legged threes like it's nothing. Like Making LeBron like uh yeah weep yeah. tears of joy on the sideline yeah brendan there's there's not an nba player that is doing anything no. close to this there's not like this is one of the most like audacious creative players we have in the sport regardless of gender and i think she does get like yes there is some chaos in her she had, she had three turnovers and two assists she can't be she needs to be like five percent more careful with the ball in her hands Mm-hmm. But like I would be, I almost feel like you got you kind of need the chaos energy from Marine Johannes if they're going to win the series. I kind of think you might just need to like let sure. it loose and see what happens. You you really just might. Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't understand the Kayla Thornton thing. I haven't understood it all playoffs. I get that she's going to be hot and cold, but okay, you know you're giving up something. You okay, but you're getting something. I think it's kind of just the flip of Johannes. So it's weird that that it's so much of a green light for her, and Kayla can sometimes just not see the floor. Um, point being, you cannot throw Sloot, Sabrina, and Marine all out there at the same time. It's just not going to work. It's not ever going to be tenable. Sandy did that, not for 15 minutes, but, you know, for like two or three in one stretch. And I believe I kept track of it. The the Liberty lost that seven to four, if I'm remembering. Oh, no, that was a different. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the third quarter, to close the third quarter, the Liberty put that lineup out there and they lost it by three. Uh, but it could have gone even worse, I think, just from the shot quality and whatnot. So that that's that's not tenable. But yeah, I mean, so the I did come up with a comp because I've been wondering about this, trying to get my mind around it all year. Jordan Poole. No, no, that's disrespectful. She's better than Jordan Poole. No, no. She's not. Yeah. Yes, she is. She's not better than Jordan Poole. Yeah, yeah. This is a player whose coach doesn't trust her to be out there for more than 15 minutes. You're making it seem like she's an all-star, and I'm, like, putting shade on her name. She's she's a role player, and so is he. Yeah, I just kind of think she's a little more, like, trustworthy in some of this stuff, even though it's chaotic. I think it's, like, is it Clark's? I think it's more like Clarkson-y. It's the shot selection, though. That's the pool part of it. Pool is the only other basketball player, I feel like, who is willing to take the types of deep, off-balance, insane threes, and if it clanks off the front of the rim, it will go up the next time, period. And she's very turnover-prone, just like Jordan Poole is. That's she had true. three turnovers uh, in 20 minutes. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I j- it's just like that's such a tough rub on her. It might be a little disrespectful, but it's the closest yeah. I could get. 
Yeah. Um, just considering like Jordan Poole just had like one of the worst NBA seasons we've seen in a long time from a guy like on a good team. Like truly dreadful. Yes. The difference might be that she makes the majority of the crazy shots, whereas he sometimes yeah. does not. You know, he'll he'll have a whole half of a season where he makes like thirty percent of his threes, whereas she's a pretty good bet to make them when they when she puts them up. Yeah, did you see how like she's like smirking after she it's like she knows what she's doing and she's like it's like it's literally it's like practiced in a way that I think Jordan Poole is kind of like winging it sometimes. It's fair. All right. NBA season preview. No, yeah. Just last thing on this. Game two. Do you do we think I picked the Liberty in five. You pick the aces in five. Just a Mm -hmm. quick temperature check because we won't talk about the series until next week. And two games will happen by the time we talk next. As we go into game two, into game three, are you, I mean, is it still aces and five? I mean, I think I would almost have, you have to lean aces after game one. They, they, they look really great. Is it like, where, where's your confidence level at? Like on a, on a percentage scale that the aces are actually going to pull this off? And, and yeah, I think you have to feel five. good about it. Yeah, I think you have to feel good about it, but the home team winning game one. Yeah. Okay. You know, like, I think it's more about the how, which is kind of the, thing we were talking about at the very top which is just do you do you believe in the first three quarters or do you feel like kind of the clamps that they were able to put down defensively and keep the pressure on to get the 19 uh, the 17 point win is is kind of more accurate i mean we've seen lopsided results from this back and forth all season so you could easily see a liberty win in game two that's equally impressive i don't know i, I still think this is going to go five so i'm not going to back yeah. off that yet yeah, I agree. I th- I think we're gonna. I still just think we're gonna get like a counterpunch in Liberty, and it's just gonna be like, oh right, here we go. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, the Los Angeles Clippers. Oh boy, are our first preview of the day. So I'm not even religious. I just crossed myself for this, Brendan. This is to this, this, refresh. Yeah, to refresh the audience, we're gonna go most important player. The player we'll be talking about by the end of the season, the best lineup, the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, and then the magical number for this particular team is 45 and a half. So we will go over or under on that line to close things out. And then we will hit the New York Knicks. So most important player, I have Kawhi Leonard, Chris. Yeah. Is that I, look, if you, debatable? No, it's not debatable. The, the Kawhi Leonard is, when he's healthy... This is one of the best players alive and a truly dominant two-way force. We've seen flashes of it even in recent years when he hasn't played as much. Mm-hmm. He, But he's the guy that if he's around enough this year, and this kind of maybe tilts the, 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 the handle a bit towards best case, if he's like able to play like 50, like he's not going to get to 65. I don't think anyone should like expect that. I, I don't think it matters if he's like all NBA eligible or whatever. Like, if he can play, like, 55 to 60 regular season games and be healthy for the playoffs, like, that's how you talk yourself into this all coming together. It has to be Kawhi. This team mm-hmm. is going to could be, like, fine and scrappy, and it will be very well coached regardless of who is healthy for this team. It's, but it, it's it's Kawhi. Like, it's this, this team's ceiling comes and goes. It's championship hopes come and go with Kawhi Leonard's health and availability. So, to me... I still think when he's at his best, he gives them a chance to win the West. Like, it's yeah. it's still at that level. 
when he was on the court last year, understanding that he was not playing enough and did not appear in enough games to be an MVP, of course, I'm not saying he should have won the award, but there are few players in the league as valuable and effective and productive as he is, even after the significant injuries that he's had. It does not sound like the last one that he tweaked his meniscus this past playoffs was any sort of terrible career altering any more than his career has already been altered type of thing. Lawrence Frank said that he is fully healthy. I believe he's been participating in training camp without restriction. Same with Paul George. So that's all good. Last season, he was 42% from three, 51% from mid-range, had a 63, 62% true shooting percentage. He was in the 96th percentile in defensive estimated plus minus from dunksandthrees.com. And the Clippers were almost 11 points better per 100 possessions with him on the court. That is after almost a full two years away from the NBA. He got injured in the 2021 playoffs. He did not return until early 2023 to the basketball court. And when he stepped back on the court, that's how good he was. I went and read, Brendan, a really good piece at The Ringer from Michael Pina in prepping for the show. He wrote this in February. The headline is... Uh, you can. He's a Kawhi simp. We can just preface it with that. That That's true. Uh, very smart. I say that with love, Wait. but he is. Yes. Kawhi Leonard is back and the NBA should be petrified is the, is the title of the piece. The numbers... Here, here are some averages over a 16-game stretch that he had. Are you ready for these? These are these. Ready. These are like best player in the world numbers. Twenty-eight point three points, six point four boards, four point three assists, one point nine steals. Shooting splits: fifty-two point nine, forty-nine point four, and ninety-one point eight. Was taking six point one free throws a game. Like that. That that's a force. That like the Nuggets don't have an answer for that guy. Nobody. The does. Warriors. Nobody does. Nobody in the West is like equipped. Like no one in the league is like really equipped for this, except maybe like you. Because that's the thing. Yeah, go ahead. That's the thing, right? He, the reason he gets like Jordan comps and stuff. Not only is he great, the whole game is played on his terms when he's at his best because Mm -hmm. he can score in isolation and he can completely smother anything you try to do offensively. He's like the only non-center in the NBA that you can really say that about. That when he's on the court, everything moves at his speed. Everything is played on his terms. That's part of what makes him so great and why you almost have to give their team a chance to over overperform because it, it doesn't always matter who else is out there with him. That's how good he is. He, he is going to be someone that when it's all said and done, and this is not an original take, but he's going to like deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And his not, you're, it's going to be like the, the number one, you had to see it guy. Like, mm-hmm. we're just going to need to show like clips from his peaks of the Clippers, some of the stuff he did with the Spurs, the Toronto title run. And it's the Toronto thing has been on my mind a lot lately just because like, look what happened. Like that franchise like clearly like needed him to elevate it. As even as well run as we think they are, and as, as great as some of the players they have are, and, and the potential of guys like Scotty Barnes, 
making a lot of concert money too instead of having a WNBA team. So shout out to them. Yeah, really uh, brutal, brutal, brutal look. So <laughs> not not great. I enjoyed that a lot of the Raptors people I follow on on X. Just like I went on X for like two minutes on Saturday uh, after I mm-hmm. had some beverages at a wedding and just saw Raptors people like dunking on on the ownership group and that made me happy. Um, like Kawhi, like like took like. What he did that season feels like it's been like ten years already, and it ha- like it's been like you know five or whatever. But like it's not like relatively that long ago, considering his age. It wasn't like that. In some ways, feels like his like la- like his like last great grasp at some of this, and yet it's like that guy should have like if everything could have just gone right for that guy, he could have had this whole other career with the Clippers. That's why like they the Clippers did what they did to move heaven and earth to get him and Paul George there, right? Like that's mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. This is. This is a player that is as special as we've seen in the last. Like he's among the the best players of the last twenty years, and there's no quite. If you've watched him, you know. But and it's yeah. but it's sad that we. To me, it's sad we have to talk to him. Talk. I have to talk about him like that because I just want to see him. Yeah. Be fucking Kawhi. Mm-hmm. And two. Yeah, that was four years and two major knee injuries ago, right? Like, you know, and it, 2021, I think, was their best chance. I think they could have beaten the Bucks that year. I think that they would have beaten the Suns with Kawhi healthy. And I think that's just the reality. This is not the peak version of this team, but he is capable of that still. I mean, last year in game one on the road in Phoenix, I watched him systematically destroy the Phoenix Suns and steal a game and make people second guess their predictions for that series until, of course, he went down again. You know, it's just the reality of of, of life with Kawhi. But all right, player we're going to be talking about. I had KJ Martin. Okay, so talk to me about this because I had a hard time picking someone for this because you don't I don't look at their roster and it's it's not like loaded with really interesting well once Jason Preston got cut you you lost your answer you didn't have your your selection anymore I I here's the thing want him to succeed love him it was it's just not not gonna happen we got to get him on the just basketball show he's a he's a bud budding content creator so he should uh yeah he should come join us talk about Kawhi back, back to his roots um yeah, I can tell you about KJ Martin if you want. Because it's because it's like it's either like I the name to me it was either KJ or the name that I pick because it's like you can't make a case for Brandon Boston at this point. Like it's just it's. Meh. I think Boston could still break out, but I just they clearly don't the, trust him to play. So that's the one where you start to worry. Where it's like he looks good when he plays, but if Ty Lue doesn't trust him out there, I don't, maybe I should take that cue. You know, yes. so to me with KJ Martin, I think at his best he's kind of a small ball rim protector. You know, he's he's kind of the prototypical wing who can help make small ball lineups work because he can space and provide some help defensive uh, difference making. I think if you look around the NBA, there are a lot of players, whether it's Peyton Pritchard, it's like, I guess we've seen campaign on a good team before. You could say somebody like Kata Bates Diop on the Suns. Um, a lot of the Nuggets young guys, Peyton Watson. I think KJ Martin belongs on that list as a mm-hmm. what do they look like on a great team kind of all-star team right now because 
if you kind of look at his numbers, he's had some solid three-point shooting seasons. He's had some solid rim protection seasons as a help defender. He's only 6'6", but he's a really good athlete. One of those guys that's never had one single great season, but has flashed a lot of skills. And if he can put enough of that together and be kind of lifted up by the fact that he's just not playing with the Houston Rockets anymore, like that feels like a pretty valuable young role player. And I just think too, when you think about the Clippers big picture, the part of the reason it's not just like a people are bored of them. So we just start kind of making up reasons why they're not as good anymore. Their best attribute of being a versatile small ball team, the guys who made that possible, especially Nicola, uh, Nicholas Batum and Marcus Morris just aren't very good anymore, especially Morris. And I think Batum has taken a little bit of a step back as well. So he can be a guy who just injects enough physicality and athleticism to this older team that can help their small ball units get back to maybe a little bit closer to where they were. But also I think if he can make his shots and and provide some other things offensively can probably play with their big lineups too. So I just think he's going to play a lot. I think he fits really well. And I kind of do buy that he'll take a little bit of a leap in terms of value, just being on a veteran team with better players. A good low buy for them. Like, I think it was like a second, like very low cost to get him in a trade. I think it's, it's a move that a a good, like a, team pursuing a championship like this should should do it's kind of the thing you just can you tell i wanted him for the suns for like two years with how much of a little love letter i had ready there yeah you were prepped uh we got a lot of there's a lot of people like in like locked on cast comments being like kj martin and i'm just like you guys that reminded me of a guy like eight years ago who's like isaiah hartenstein is awesome and i'm like calm down buddy and then it turns out isaiah hartenstein's like pretty good so sometimes the random also a guy the clippers let go (laughs) yeah yes I would Terrence, man. I don't think this is like a great answer because I think he's already kind of established. That's why I think mm-hmm. you just cocked your head at me. But a, he's someone that has been like, like in another world where they didn't think as highly of him. Like he's maybe already in the James Harden trade. Mm-hmm. Like he's maybe just like used as like filler for them to go like. Well, but the qu- the interesting part of that though is who's they? Because I'm not sure Ty Lue thinks highly of Terrence Mann all the time. Well, Lawrence Frank, shout out to Lawrence Frank, real one. Mm-hmm. Um. Shot 38.9% from three last year. Just a good shooter. Could up the volume a little bit. I just think he's going to be like one of those guys, if they make a run, it's going to be like the playoff introduction of Terrence Mann to like a wider audience. And I think he's going to be part of their good lineups. I just think he's going to be like a really key piece. Even if he plays, he played 23 minutes a game last year. He plays between that and 27. I think there's just a big impact to have. And I think particularly on the nights where Kawhi doesn't play, I think he's going to have added value as Morris ages, as Batum ages. They just kind of need another physical wing. So I'm just going to say man, because I think he might just get more broader recognition this time around. So I think the other one we could have said there would be Bones Highland. If you no. kind of believe that he, no, I, I I'm just like very skeptical of Bones Island at this point. I I think like considering how he left Denver and like, I just kind of feel like Russ is probably just gonna like eat a lot of his minutes up and. He played pretty mature, more mature basketball, I would say, after becoming a Clipper than he did as a Nugget, but yeah, it would it would require a much bigger leap than I think we're talking about with, yeah. Martin or or man I guess just on the man topic since we're here and it's obviously the thing hovering over the Clippers 
Would you trade him for Harden? No. And no, you wouldn't? Okay. No, I mean, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) You're in a spot, number one, where they, as in the Sixers, don't have, like, a lot of options. So, like, Mm -hmm. you should just, like, be able to squeeze. They not have to give up Terrence Mann. And I also just think Terrence Mann's the kind of guy you want to, like, support James Harden if you trade for James Harden. Sure. Yeah, it just feels like a vibes trade to me, more so than a basketball trade if they get Harden. Like, I I liked it. I feel like more when it first came out, and the more that I've thought about it, I think the less I like it. Just Harden, period. Not even man, you know, whatever. I think man has maybe gotten a little bit overrated overall. Like, I don't really... He's much worse than most centerpiece, you know, players would be. Yeah, but that, in a star that's trade, hap- it's not like he's ha- some sort of untouchable. That's just what happens when you when you're James Harden and you've maybe wiggled one too many wiggles. Yeah, when, exactly. when you go to the club, when, I didn't, I, Brendan, I just missed this until this weekend. Mm. I'd seen the signs of James Harden at the club with like the Daryl Morey's a liar. Like that man really did it all, huh? I think he's just out of wiggles. He did it all, and then now he's at training camp and not causing a problem at all. I don't, I don't understand him. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's the there's the breakout players. They need to they need to shuffle the deck somehow. Like this, the Morris contract still sitting there. This is Nicholas Batum's last season. He's gonna retire. He already told us that. Robert Covington. It doesn't seem like Tyloo wants him to play. Like there's just too many inflated contracts of players who are not producing at that level combined with young guys who probably deserve a little bit more of a chance, but they also want to win. They just got to kind of consolidate and, and, and get a direction. I'm not sure if that's Harden. Maybe Harden can be one component of that. We'll see. Best lineup. Last year, basically, it was either Westbrook or Mann, George, Kawhi, Morris, Zubats. Their two best lineups were those four guys plus Westbrook and then the other one with Mann. Mm-hmm. I think this would be a lot easier if they had just even one more 3 and D guy or defensive forward that you felt yeah. good about. Sure. Like that was kind of the real trouble that I had. So I just pivoted completely. Okay. I went Terrence Mann, Norm Powell, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Ivica Zubats. And it's kind of a bet on what you were talking about with Kawhi, where if he's actually finally healthy, maybe he can play a little more four. Maybe they can downsize a little bit, and he, he can defend the bigger players that he has to. And they can get a little bit more offense and shooting on the court more consistently, space it better, and all the rest. Because I don't love Morris out there anymore. I don't love Batum out there anymore. Russ clogs things up and takes the ball out of the best player's hands, even though he was pretty great last year, admittedly. So that was the best I could kind of combine with the shooting of Powell, a little bit of chaos and ball handling from man, the two best guys, and then the offensive rebounder, rim protector, and Zubats. What did you have? So I am going to throw Russell Westbrook into this because I feel like being a little chaotic today, Brendan, apparently. I mean, he was really good for them. I don't, I don't know how chaotic that even is. Like, make the case. I don't, I'm not trying to say I'm right. Okay, so with the best lineup with them, I think there's a little bit of a concern that the Russ's three-point shooting with them is just, like, not going to hold. He was 35.6% from three and three and a half attempts per game. That would mm-hmm. be, like, 
close to the career best on volume. Like he had thirty four point three back when he was twenty eight in two thousand sixteen seventeen. So like, there's not exactly mm-hmm. precedent that you're gonna get that him. But for, I'm gonna go him as this the chaos engine, the 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 energy guy, the guy who's gonna push the pace a little bit. Um, and I think he seems to be really bought in there and accepted in a way that I do kind of think does matter. It's got to be Paul George. It's got to be Kawhi. It's Terrence Mann. It's Tavichi it's Zubac. I think that's the five. I think you're pretty big. You're pretty strong. You're pretty rugged all across the court. But again, none of this works unless Kawhi is at the centerpiece. Otherwise, like you're going to get some mixed matchy stuff. And um, I was really alarmed to look at the lineup data for last year and see Marcus Morris all over it. So, like, Lord knows. Yeah, he had that injury midseason, and I just – he was already falling off. I just don't know. I don't know what he, he really can be anymore. But he's like – in some of the lineups, they were like extreme pluses, and like Marcus Morris yeah. in like ten, like eight of their best like ten lineups. Like what? Like and that's not exactly what it is, but it just like what do we do? Like how did this happen? This but I think it was just, just honestly like I mean Clippers fans would know better than me, but I, I think a lot of that was consolidated toward the beginning of the year. Then yeah. he he was out from like the last twenty games and came back in that first round series, and they barely played him. And I just physically, you know, maybe that's the case is if he can be healthy again, then he'll look a little better than he did by the end of the year. But he was already not you know peak Morris if he's another level worse. Like speaking of, I just have a a, a nitpick, and obviously this is a little bit localized to me so maybe that's why it's on my mind but the trade they made for eric gordon last year Mm -hmm. was horrendous they traded the pick that became cam whitmore for 20 games of eric gordon that is what happened like they by by cutting gordon which they chose to do they he was he had a non-guarantee they chose to move on from him after trading what became the 20th overall pick and like the fact that it became cam whitmore because he fell so be it he could easily bust we have no idea but kind of sucks more if you're a clippers fan that he fell and you could have had that guy who would have easily been the guy we're going to be talking about by the end of the season for both of us i'm sure if he was a clipper Mm. for literally a quarter of a season of eric gordon uh awful stuff and he would be probably in this lineup for me because he's kind of i mean he's he's older but he's a perfect version of i think what would help them mix and match players a little better in, in some of their you know more versatile lineups best case here i have Martin, Highland, and Mann help the team evolve. Playing big more helps keep everyone healthy, and they return to the conference finals. I still think they're at least one trade away with that said, and I don't think that trade is Harden, but yeah, that's kind of the the best case I could come up with. I will say Ty Lue coaching James Harden would be fascinating because Ty does not put up with shit. And Harden and Russ playing together again, which we know doesn't work. Russell Westbrook literally had to play center for that to work. Like we know what this is. Like I just, I'm stressed yeah. about it, Chris. I don't, I don't like it. I'm, look, I'm not stressed about it because it's just. But uh, will I watch? At like, will that be like when I watch early? Like get up and and if I'm working at home, I just look look through like peeking through with one eye watching the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. that's probably gonna happen. Yeah. Best case, I, th- I to me it's just Kawhi. It's does he play sixty something games around there, fifty five to sixty? He stays healthy. Paul George, we haven't really talked about, also stays healthy. They're a top four seed in the West, and they just have a real chance of making a finals run because Kawhi looks like Kawhi. I, I I agree with you on the trade, but I don't think any of this is not like a trade doesn't make sense for them unless mm. Kawhi is around. It doesn't make any sense. You further throw things into this, throw things at this, throw money at it, throw assets at it if Kawhi's not around to elevate you. Like, none of that makes sense unless you actually have Kawhi. It all stems from him. 
So worst case, I said injuries predictably hit again. Yeah. Or the team is just too old and small to really stack up wins regardless. Or whatever is looming with regard to these contract extension negotiations just take over everything and it becomes a very different conversation very quickly about this team, which I don't have enough intel because I don't have any intel to guess on that. But it wouldn't be a big surprise to me if by December we're just talking about like this version of the Clippers is over. We're kind of there. This this season is the one, and if they can't come to an extension agreement, it really becomes the one. Yeah, uh, we're going to get some weird stuff. Like, we're just going to get some weird stuff. We're going to get some... This team has never been normal in this era. That's not going to start ever. now. Ever. I mean, ever. it's never been normal. Yeah, but like... I would take this weird over like the other weird that they had with the previous owner, obviously. But um, but even basketball wise, it's like they get Chris Paul because the league vetoes a trade to the Lakers. <laughs> Blake Griffin misses his rookie season with an injury. Yeah, like all these crazy things have happened to the Clippers. So you're you're yeah. you're very much uh, on the money to bet for more chaos. Um, yeah. Just just staring at this and being like injuries happen again and then more injuries and then it's just like a bunch of full of promise and everyone's left unhappy. Like I like that to me is the worst case scenario, but it also feels like very plausible. And that that I mean, just as like a fan of Kawhi and like a Ty Lue appreciator and like mm-hmm. enjoying Paul George saying he's good. Did you see this Instagram clip of um, them at the golf course by chance? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Taylor Rooks clip, which is. Another day, another viral PG clip. So, no, I did not see the golf one. It sounds like you did not see the Taylor Rooks one, but now we're no, uh, we're no, going to combine no, them here. Yeah, but it was Kawhi Leonard sipping a Arnold Palmer and saying he would beat Paul George in golf, and Paul George saying he's going to make the orange polo a thing like Tiger made the red polo a thing. And I'm like, okay, Paul. Yeah, because the Suns own him, so he has to wear orange. Okay, wow, Homer. <laughs> The no, uh, the it just goes into the Taylor Rooks thing because PG has somehow made this like very not beef beef between Booker and Clay Thompson about himself. So it is now about Paul George because he decided to ask uh, he, Clay about he's, it he's in a, an interview, and Clay was like a, pod, a nice guy. He's a podcast. He's a podcaster now. Yeah, that's he's yeah. a content creator. He's one of us. One he's been minted. Us. He somehow made the the sport about uh, himself. That's yeah. That's exactly what happens. Right. That's what Let's that makes him a media under. member. Yeah, I have under over under. Okay, so I do too. But I it's forty five and a half thing. under forty five and a half. Uh, I just also would never touch this one. No, just if I were if I were to power rank Brendan, my confidence in like projecting over unders, this would be thirty. I don't know what the other twenty nine look like. This would be thirty. I have no freaking idea what's going on here. It's like them and the no. Sixers are like at the bottom for me. Yeah. Betting the Clippers is just sicko shit, no matter what the circumstances are uh, against them or for them. I could just just feeling confident enough or feeling broken enough inside to actually spend your hard earned cash on the Los Angeles Clippers in any direction is uh, is a disgusting indication of of addiction and you need to stop. Um, So just to go through it, 40 win team statistically last year. But they were about a four, on a 44-ish win pace post the Russ signing. So you're getting a little closer to 45 and a half. They got 108 games combined from Kawhi and PG, only 60 from Powell. With Kawhi on the court, 
they were about as good as the best teams in the league with both Kawhi and Paul George on the court, they had a net rating that would have been far and away the best in the entire NBA. So it is, it, there is a case for the over, but again, uh, it's, it's sicko shit. Um, all right. The New York Knicks, mm-hmm. speaking of broken and potentially cursed franchises, we really picked a great combination with Knicks and Clippers on one episode. I feel like it's also getting a little close to Halloween. Like we're really playing with fire here in terms of some demons. Um, by the way, I saw the exorcist in theaters. Have you seen the exorcist? You know, no, um, ah. but all my movie energy right now is going towards rewatching Scorsese movies because killers of the flower moon is okay. a little over a little under two weeks away from being out. And it's like, true. Would I like to watch, do I want to make myself feel dead by watching Raging Bull? Probably going to do that. <laughs> well, you told me to, to tell you if I watch any old movies for the first time when we're podcasting. So that, oh, that's I, my, I, that's, that's right. my update. I, th- I thought you meant the, I've seen the original exorcist. I thought you meant the one that would. Like, oh no, I meant the original. I meant the original because it's yeah, the 50th okay. anniversary. So they're playing it. Uh, they're playing it in yeah. theaters. Um, yeah. So that's a great intro to the New York Knicks. Um, maybe or maybe what, not wait, possessed by a what, demon. What, this we should as just a, as a cheap grab for a TikTok content here. What NBA defender do you think like makes other like? What do you think makes scores for like they're like being attacked? Like they're going through an exorcism. Is it is it like Pete Kawhi when his hands are just grabbing shit? That's probably the best one. Draymond, you know, it's just the best defenders, so it's probably not. I feel like I feel like Draymond's more of like uh, like like Freddie or Jason because he just like is literally just like mauling you as he's doing it the answer is probably Wembenyama. he's like the one who would actually scare you you know like straight up like put the fear of god in you to even try maybe not right now but in the future yeah, yeah sure okay uh the knicks Tips. all right so the new york knicks let's preview the new york knicks um again most important player guy we're going to be talking about best lineup best case worst case and then over under so my most important player for the Knicks this year, I I didn't know where to go. I was I was a little bit up and down on it. Where I went is RJ Barrett. Okay, same. We're we're in okay. agreement. Then this, to me at least, this was not this was not really like hard. I looked at the roster. I thought about it for a second. I said, "What's like my big?" I, I've been doing these and thinking about. Okay, what is my big question for these teams? My big question for the Knicks: Can they go further than they did last year without really changing? Very much. And there's some really good slop that I'm going to sneak in here that, that came out this week and I'm going to sneak in here later. Okay. That just made me laugh a little bit because it's just like peak like New York media stuff. The only way that this team, based on the moves they made and who they have, that they take a massive step forward, it's if R.J. Barrett takes to forward. It's year five for him. He had a great year in twos last year. He regressed from three. Can he just actually put it together and be like a balanced multi-level scorer? Can he like become more efficient and, and deadly to kind of take some of the pressure off of Jalen Brunson? Does he take a step forward? And like, what do we actually see like a complete package of RJ Barrett that would give you confidence he can be like a really key cog on a team where like he's ends maybe he's the third or fourth best guy, but right now is like the third best guy, or maybe supplants Julius Randle as the second best guy. Like if that RJ Barrett shows up this team is going to be a pain in the ass. They're going to be a pain in the ass anyway, but they're going to be much more of a pain in the ass if it, they get that kind of season out of Bear. And 
I would add, we're just he's just going to be someone that we're looking at because the Knicks do sneakily have like a lot of ways. If they just if Tibbs gets annoyed with him, he can just like develop a lot of pretty competent lineups that just don't have to involve RJ Barrett. That's for sure true. I think right now RJ Barrett is basically a worse passing Scotty Barnes. Oof. But that's like it's so just much hard to value con- with Scotty Barnes, you know. It's just hard to keep betting on the theoretical for somebody as old as him. Like, I went through it with DeAndre Ayton. He just is what he is, you know? At a certain point, like, if a guy's been playing high-level basketball for this long, I I think about it especially with regard to his shooting. He's not going to be a plus shooter. Like, we can just stop. It's not going to happen. He was 19-51, 37% from deep at the World Cup after 35% on catch and shoot in last year's playoffs. That's where I think he maxes out, about 34-35%. That's where he's at for his career mark in the regular season as a Nick. He's put up enough attempts where it starts to equalize out, and it just sort of is what he is I think like we we don't have to get too I think complicated with the shooting stuff um because it's not just that he takes too many pull-ups like some guys or this or that it's just he does not make threes um but you mentioned he went he improved from two in particular finishing floaters even his foul drawing all kind of took a little bit of a step up I think those are all good indicators for the type of downhill just sort of bum rushing you know, paint to great creator that I think he can be where he gets the ball, probably not as a primary initiator, but maybe as a secondary guy attacking a broken defense in spot up situations in transition and is just able to get into the paint. The problem is he still finishes like crap. He does not finish well for how big he is. You'd think he'd be an awesome finisher. He just isn't. And I would say on the other end, Chris, the part that is similarly confusing to me is that he forced turnovers at a pretty solid rate in college. And I think that was one of the things that would have had to be exciting. And I was always high on him. I had him above John Morant. I, I covered the hell out of that draft, and I, I'm an idiot. I had him above John Morant. Like, who would have done that? But part of the thing is, you would have thought he would be a pretty difference-making help team defender as well as an on-ball defender. He just hasn't forced turnovers. His steal and block percentages are like, astronomically low in the NBA every single season. He's never had one year where he's created turnovers. I have no idea what to make of that. That makes no sense to me. So I kind of think that if you're making the case for him to improve, that has to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And that he just starts to maybe focus a little bit more on that interior scoring so that it just kind of, you know, if, if his mentality changes, then maybe the efficiency can kind of follow. But I just don't know what the ceiling value-wise of even that player is. Let's say he does all of that. I mean, what is that guy? I don't know. I don't... I don't. As much as I think he's the most important player, I, I'm kind of just... I, I'm, I talk myself out of him the more that I think about him. I agree. I, I think it's a really tough spot for him and a tough spot for them in, in a trade capacity. He's going to be your most enticing chip as like an asset aside from your picks that's he's kind of like a he's a very imperfect guy to put at the center of any possible traits um i guess this is actually a good enough time to just note the the slop just real okay. quick so stefan bondi from the post um had this news article about evan fournier like kind of writing up some of what fournier said to media day and fournier being like i'm gonna prove people wrong i'm gonna i want to play so then he he's like 
he eyed them using like the Knicks are maybe eyeing using you know Google's contract to deal for one of three players in season ahead of the deadline. Joel Embiid, okay. Donovan Mitchell, and Carl Anthony Towns. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's like it's like okay. I like aim high, Knicks. But like, if you hey, you could have you could have traded for Donovan Mitchell like last summer if you really wanted to. Could have just done it. Mm-hmm. Could have just sent R.J. Barrett out and you could add Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell. I think we all kind of know that. Wishing for Embiid in season is like nuts, and like wishing for Cat. Like, Goofy. like what? What? What is it? What is this? Like that's they just could like, probably get Cat, but. The problem with the Knicks is you, what you just said about Barrett being an imperfect and kind of negative value uh, centerpiece salary-wise for a package in a package is probably more true of Julius Randle. Yeah, like why would the... the I think he has one of the worst contracts in the NBA, Julius Randle. Yeah. He's like an amazing regular season innings eater for a team that wants to be like kind of competent and like that's not something a team that's going to give up a really good player should want. I also just like imagine him playing with Gobert and Ant and like I don't want that. I've never seen Julius Randle play winning basketball for more than half a season at a time. And I mean that stylistically. I, I, I don't mean to take anything away from the accolades and, and production that he's piled up. I'd never have watched Julius Randle for more than half a season and felt like he was you know, plugged into playing off of his teammates in a way that was going to win games. But the mention of the Donovan Mitchell thing is, I think, a good jumping off point because the player that I think we're going to be talking about by the end of the season is Quentin Grimes. Who, hey, two for two. Two for two. There we go. Look at us. Look at us. I mean, we talked a lot about the Knicks last year, so I feel like it's a yeah. testament to that, that we're uh, so uh, on the same yeah. page about this team. And you saw, you know, close up a lot of, a lot about them. Um to me, Quentin Grimes is a pretty prototypical backcourt partner for Jalen Brunson. That's kind of where I think it starts. Like, if you were just kind of cooking up, who do you want to kind of play the second backcourt spot or, you know, just share a wing rotation with Jalen Brunson? It would look a lot like Quentin Grimes. He's 6'4 with a 6'8 wingspan. He's already 23, going on 24 and productive already. 71% at the rim last year, 39% from deep. That was year two for him. I also love, and I think we've talked about this with various other guys, when they've already made the adjustment from I'm the best player to I know I need to be a role player. And sometimes that happens in year six for players. Sometimes that happens in college. And I think for him, being such a hot recruit at Kansas and then having to, you know, kind of go through probably a little bit of an epiphany, go to Houston, reevaluate, reimagine his game, and be much more of a balanced basketball player. I think went a long way for him. So considering he's starting from such a high floor, like I think there's a ton of untapped potential as passer, foul drawer, turnover creator, just as he kind of gets comfortable with what his role is going to be in the NBA, playing next to Brunson, you know, knowing just sort of what the expectations are with that. Like I think he could be one of the biggest breakout players in the whole league if, if he kind of keeps going up like he has been. I love everything he is. I love him as a defender. I love him as a shooter. Nearly 40% from three last year on really good volume. I think as a complimentary regard, every team would be dying to get. Yeah. Like he's, he's, this is like, I like him more than quickly at this point. I, yeah, I trust same. him to be a bigger two way player, to be worth a bigger contract down the line than I do quickly at this mm-hmm. point. I'm a really, really big fan of Grimes. I think this is on a team full of role guys I really love. Like I'm a DiVincenzo fan, I'm a Josh Hart fan. 
This is my favorite one. This is my favorite role guy. I'm a Hardenstein guy as well. I think his passing is really mm-hmm. creative. Yeah, he's good. Um, and, and, he's, and he's really developed like in a way that like wasn't clear that was going to happen. He's a really cool development story. But it's Grimes. I mean, this is a guy that I think acquits himself well in big moments. I This is just a guy that I think particularly with Brunson, like I think that's a great shout. It's just having this kind of guy to play next to Brunson and give spacing off of him. Especially when like some of your other wings that you that you know a Divincenzo a harder can be shaky shooters, mm-hmm. he's not, and that that's such a big big value. So this actually reminds me to your point about how every team would kind of want a player like this. He's like I, I know he's not available, but just thinking about archetypes, this is what I think like the Thunder should go after. We were talking about True Holiday, but like somebody who is just a pure. 3 and D guard who can guard one of attack but make shots, plays just a connective, very unselfish style of basketball, but also is like very like in your shit. Like he was guarding Jimmy Butler. Yeah. He had an ankle injury and kept playing. Like he's very New York and very like, you know, rah-rah already in, in a lot of those ways. So uh, I think he's, uh, he's going to become, uh, you know, the spirit of this is like the guy that, that, that average fans are going to become aware of for like basketball reasons. But I think just from a personality standpoint and everything else, I think he'll kind of be, you know, a, a fan favorite playing in New York doesn't hurt either. Um, Poku, Poku, is he in pick? Poku? Sure. No, I don't think the Knicks do that. Um, he's very like, I, he, I, he's not as big, so it's different, but like kind of a, a smaller Jaden McDaniels. Like that's kind of how I yeah. view him as just like, irreplaceable role-playing 3 and D guy who every single team would want, which just is going to make his market pretty high. So uh, I'm very excited about him. Is he in your best lineup, Grimes? Oh, yeah. You want to go to that? Okay. Should we go to that now? Yeah, so last year it was Brunson, Quickly, Hart, or Grimes. Kind of good lineups with both guys in there. And then Randall, Hartenstein. So that's one of the interesting things about the Knicks is Robinson was the story of the playoffs, but Hartenstein was in all their best lineups in the regular season. So it's kind of a, do you do you lean, which center do you go with? How many of the young guys do you throw into this lineup? Hart was a midseason addition. Is he in there? There's a lot of questions. So this one was one of the more fun ones we've done, I think. Yeah, I think there's a lot of projection involved. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of figuring out exactly what's going on here with this team. So I'm, I, I went, I have two options. I'm going to present them because I, I kind of couldn't exactly pick between these two formations. Option one is Brunson, Grimes, Barrett, Hart, and Robinson. Get all your big, strong wings on the floor. Barrett can be like your secondary, third creator at times. You have a rim runner, shot blocker. Okay, great. Like the structure of that makes a ton of sense to me. Okay. But then it's Brunson, Grimes, Hart, Randall, Robinson. Like, Randall is still going to put up numbers. He's going to give you rebounding. He's going to give you some spacing. He hit some big threes in, in important games for them last year in the regular season. I don't mean to, like, discount quickly either, but I just like Grimes better, and I think you put Hart out there. And I know the second one discounts Barrett, but I think to what we said, I think there's a chance they're the best version of this team doesn't always feature R.J. Barrett. So I don't have Barrett or Randall in mind. Okay, I love this. I want to say hello to the YouTube algorithm audience here because uh, the Knicks will certainly get us some extra eyeballs here. We don't have a huge uh, subscriber base, but hello to the Knicks fans who have found us. I know the lineup sections tend to be the most commented upon when these things do go viral. So I want to let people know because this gets lost when we post these things on social media, on YouTube, whatever. 
This is not who we think is starting. I don't know why that is so hard for NBA fans to understand. Teams often don't start their best lineups. Think of it as the closing lineup if that's easier, but it might not even be that. It's just the one that we think will play a lot, that will be the best statistically, that makes the most sense, that just kind of checks the most boxes. That's what we're talking about here. So I went small. I went Brunson, Quickly, Grimes, Hart, Robinson. Because the version of this team that I like the best is the one that flies around, spaces the floor for Jalen Brunson, wins the turnover battle, wins the free throw battle, protects the paint, but they need better balance. I think the offense was a little bit fake Mm -hmm. last year for some reasons that we can talk about. And so I I don't want to just say the check the box, the offense is good to go because Brunson's going to do what he did again. So I want some more spacing, which is why I like quickly, why I like Grimes out there. I think Hart is pretty important for their defense. And I do think Robinson's just a more impactful player overall than Hartenstein. So small one through four, and then my big, huge bruising five. That was kind of the, the construction. But that, that requires quickly to look better than he did in the postseason, Hart to at least be passable on offense, and Grimes to take the kind of leap that I think we're, we're kind of wanting slash expecting him to. But if that lineup can actually work, that's pretty fun. I have to admit, I'm a little biased of wanting it to be their best lineup, but I think it could be. I I think the beauty of the Knicks is that there's a lot of things you could interchange and you could be right. Like, I think this team has really good depth, has just a really great setup to have Mm -hmm. a lot of optionality in in what's going on here. Uh, That leads me to best case. Real quick before we jump to best case. Mm Mm-hmm. Worth talking about as an extension of the lineup stuff that I was just getting at that I think can lead us into best and worst case. Okay. Brunson got fouled on 13% of his shots last year. His previous career high was eight. And the whole league got to the free throw line like it was a like a, a halftime show of its own at NBA arenas across the country. Like, I don't understand if the refs just wanted us all to watch more free throws, but everybody had that. And the, the three-point percentage wasn't as big of an outlier, but he shot 42% from three on a lot of hard attempts. So I think if you're evaluating this team, you kind of have to at least wonder if those particular parts of the Brunson experience are sustainable. He doesn't turn the ball over. He creates high-efficiency possessions a lot. But what if he's 5% worse because some of that shooting luck just goes the other direction? I think that should matter with how you're constructing lineups, what you think of the over-under, all these different types of things, because he had a magical season where a lot of just stuff happened in the right direction for him. And I, w- I would just say that I think a better version of the Knicks would mean, like, a would mean less reliance on him to have to be the superhero every single night. I think that would be Agreed. a great outcome for them. It would, it would give them a better chance, I think, to to make noise in the playoffs, which is they obviously were a, absolutely like a wrecking ball in the first round, but then they came against the Heat and they looked like they didn't belong there. Some of that I think is because they just didn't have more than Brunson to do creation, and that that was a big problem. Quickly, didn't show up in that way. They need more, and it would be good if they didn't have to just rely on Brunson for everything. Yep. What's your best case? Get to the second round again. I think rack up a ton of regular season wins. Um, I think like that. I think this team like is that's. I I don't think them is. 
a real title contender. I don't think they're in that class. I think the I think the odds like they they have like half like their odds are like half as good as Cleveland's to like win the East, and that doesn't totally make sense to me based on how we saw these teams play last year. I just think this team's going to be like another regular season monster. I think the best case for them is they get there, have a good high seed, and maybe like just sneak ahead of one of the teams they're not necessarily better than, and and have a chance at least to make some noise against one of those teams in the playoffs. So I have Grimes, Barrett, and quickly improve, help give the team a more modern identity along with DiVincenzo and Hart, giving, you know, makes them a little bit higher ceiling on both ends as a result of that. And then maybe they push for the conference finals, but a lot of that's seeding. I was mostly thinking, what yeah. if Boston and Milwaukee play in the second round instead of the instead of the third round? Um, we'll see. Worst case, I, mean, look, I said Rand- just on that on, Look, on that note, Cleveland, New York, Miami, every team that is that has aspirations that isn't should be... Praying. Pulling on every stop possible and praying to their gods, whatever one they believe in, to get Celtics and the Bucks on the same side of the bracket would would give. So it happened two years people. ago. Yeah, got it. You got to go for it. I think. Worst case, Randall regresses as a scorer. Parentheses again. You know, this happened in 2021. He was amazing, and then in 2022, not so much. So, you know, it's not just being a hater. It's it's kind of what happens. He he has these miracle three point shooting seasons, and then he doesn't. The team struggles to improve on last year. Maybe it gets even worse. I don't think that the floor is going to fall out here, but. I think Randall not being as good and then maybe some of the Brunson stuff happening, you know, because that's the weird thing about this team. They were awesome on defense, on offense and not great on defense. The exact opposite of a, of a Thibodeau team. What happens if the offense doesn't Im- stay that high and the defense kind of stays just as bad? You're talking about closer to like a 500 team, I think. Um, what'd you have for over under 45 and a half is the number, just like the Clippers. I went, I went over. Okay. I, did I just think they're. I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. I think even if they are like the bottom of their outcomes and they're like a solid five seed and then get like bounced in round one, I think they're probably going to rack up a lot of regular season wins and go for it. That's just what Tibbs teams do. And if even if the offense is a little fugazi in some ways, I just kind of think they're going to be a really good regular season team. So statistically, they were a forty-nine win team last year. And as much as I did say some of the things about the offense are a little wacky, I I believe that, and it's mostly with Brunson and Randall. But in terms of like basics and fundamentals, they control the glass, they win the turnover battle, they get to the line, and opponents do not score at the rim against them. Like that's a pretty good recipe to win a lot of regular season games, provided that you know your center rotation stays healthy. But like even a guy like Jericho Sims, who we didn't talk about, he played a decent amount for them last year. He's pretty good, you know. So it's like they just have enough depth that I think that those parts of how they just kind of control games will translate. And so to me, it basically comes down to the upside of the young guys on the roster outweighs the potential downside if Randall or even Brunson kind of regress is how I really broke it down. Um, So over 45 and a half for me as well. I feel pretty good about that one, honestly, Um, because like I said, they were a 49 win team last year. They'd have to get substantially worse to not hit the over. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's that accurate. I think even with some Tibbs concerns, because I just Tibbs is what he is at this point. I think this is a team kind of, that kind of overrides a lot of that. I think this roster is like really solid, even if 
it's kind of now begging for some kind of trades. What do you think of Towns on this team? I think it would do him really well to play with this kind of locker room. Is my first thought. Back with Tibbs. Him, that that part of it, I don't care. Like they could lose in the first round this year, and they could fire Tibbs. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like. Okay, that that I don't care about that. I what I care about is I think like Brunson would be great for him. I think Josh Hart and like those kind of support casts, and I think I. It, I don't love the fact that you're bringing him to a team that has like two really good fives as kind of a core part of its identity because like I just would want Cat to go somewhere to play more five. You but, probably trade one of them, right, in the deal. Yes, but even still, I I kind of like his fits with those guys in some ways better, and, and it's a, just at a lower cap value than Gobert is. I like wouldn't hate that if that was at least like a wrinkle you had, and then you like I think it could really work. I think just him with Brunson would do wonders for him. Honestly, I really think like if I'm if Carl, if and when he's done in Minnesota, like I think going to a place with like a lead creator type who's definitely the alpha of the team would do him a lot of good. Agreed on all the fit things you just said. I think they could just trade one of the centers and that alleviates some of the, the, the kind of clogged five spot problems that might happen. Um, I think from a cap standpoint, part of the reason I like it too is they... If, it, if they could get Towns without having to give up too many of their picks or young guys and get off Barrett and or Rand, not and, Barrett or Randall, especially if they could get off Randall in the same trade, sign me up. I don't think he would go to Minnesota is the problem, so you're, you're getting a little complicated there. But if you could get Towns, get rid of Randall, and not have to give up like your best, best, best assets and keep the kind of the powder dry for the next one, that feels like a win-win, even though the money's kind of, you know, a lot. But if they can check all those boxes, then I do, I do like the fit, so I would do it. But I get if they say, hey, Towns, at the end of the day, is he really worth dipping into our best stuff for probably not so maybe that's you, why it doesn't I, happen me, i just want to i just end on this because we're this is another beefy one would you have rather given up your stuff if it's not Embiid? would you have, would you rather give up the stuff for mitchell a year ago or towns right now mitchell because he's just a better player but i don't really think mitchell fits on this team very well i think they could i think they could have made it work if they would have just done it I really do, and I kind of just would bet on the talent. I agree with it. It's not like the perfect The problem is it's pretty similar to the Cleveland fit, which is imperfect in, a, in in similar ways, you know? Yeah, I think you might just be in a situation where, like, that with Mitchell, unless you pair him with, like, an anomaly kind of point guard, that might just be – that just might be the reality of building a Donovan Mitchell team. That just might be – But small, the, 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 no spacing five. It's not just, you know, that stuff, but it's like Brunson's also small like Garland is, I think – Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein are both kind of, you know, spacing confined centers, which is what he's dealing with with the Cavs. All right, so Randall so is not exactly a great fit for anybody. So Cat you know. and so you got to get Cat and Mitchell is what we're seeing. Well, that's what I'm saying is if you could get Towns and still leave the powder dry for another trade, then maybe that's kind of how you get there. Otherwise, I do think it's reasonable to just say let's wait. Maybe it's not Embiid, but you never know who the hell else it could be. We just got done talking about the Clippers. Maybe it's Paul George. I have no idea. 
Lord you knows. know, somebody. Yeah. All right. We had to talk pie in the sky trades because, you know, it's the Knicks. That's just those go those go together beautifully. Knicks fans and just unrealistic, unreasonable trade talk. So you're welcome to all of you for that. That will wrap us up. Hit follow, hit subscribe wherever you're finding the Just Basketball Show. We will be back Friday talking WNBA Finals Game 2. We also have a Raptors preview as well as, I think, two more teams. So as Chris uh, loves to give us the visual of, it's going to be beefy. Um, and we will talk to you guys then. Hit uh, Find us on social media too. Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. If you like what you're hearing, we'll talk to you then.